The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations, recently known as Victoria, BC, Canada. Gather in for a tender talk today about love and loss and friendship breakups and grief and how all of that impacts the creative process. I'm speaking today with Angela E. Morris, author of Love Notes to Grievers. Angela is a writer and massage therapist who offers people a soft place to land as they navigate their grief. She provides reflective writing on grief and relationships impacted by grief, pushing against how the dominant culture reacts towards death and loss and mourning. She encourages readers to take time to process their pain and be with their loss, carrying their loved ones with them and not leaving them behind. Today, we share an intimate conversation, itself a love note to all the grievers out there. We see you. You're welcome here. Maybe grab a cup of tea or head out to the garden with your headphones on. Maybe don't listen while you're driving because the tears will make it hard to see the road. But whatever you're doing right now, just pull over and let's have a minute together, shall we? We're stepping onto sacred ground now. To put that another way, content note here for mentions of death and suicide. But let's start with the usual. Let's welcome Angela Morris to the Numinous Podcast. So Angela, what identities do you lead with? I thought about this for a while. <laughs> like overthought it, I think. So, <laughs> But my first inkling was to say closet comedian. I was like, what? Because I think I'm really funny. <laughs> so You are very funny. You have a very good sense of humor. Thank you. That's like something I'm going to hold on to. So yes, closet comedian. I'm obsessed with comedians right now. Oh, which ones? Just any person, any comedian that has put out a memoir. So I'm reading all of the comedian memoirs right now. Okay. I'm just fascinated with people getting up on stage Mm -hmm. and doing Mm -hmm. their thing anyway. So that. And do you think they're mostly just incredibly broken people? (laughs) Like, I, don't, I say that in I like a loving way, but yeah, like the but like world f- has broken them, has given them like really, except for Jerry Seinfeld. I'm like, maybe yeah. it was just kind of cold and aloof in his ho- household, but like yeah. pretty much everyone else. It's like, wow, you had such a hard life. And what are you doing up on stage like that and going through all of, you know, having to tour and like have to deal with other comedians and like the harshness of it? Anyway. Yeah. So I'm a closet yeah. comedian and I will stay in that closet because <laughs> the thought of actually getting up on stage terrifies me. So that mm-hmm. I definitely leading with that in a weird way. Uh, I'm a meme lover right now. Oh, yeah. Like the fact that you <laughs> in your stories, I love that about you. Saturday meme train. I Ooh. just love them too. So good. She, her pronouns. Recently neurodivergent which I'm really uh, resonating with because it explains a lot of this little teeny little Ange that didn't know she was masking <laughs> a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. My family, I've been doing like, since my dad died, I've been doing a little bit of ancestry retrieval and looking like that was kind of a reflex is like, 
going back and, and looking at the family tree like till three in the morning and then like texting my mom at weird hours being like, mom, I need to know this date. And she's like, okay, sweetheart. Um, so that was interesting. But yeah, so uh, Italian ancestry on my mom's side, I'm just really, really enjoying learning about my family from, you know, a couple generations back. Uh, my dad's family uh, was uh, her, his mom's side was Swiss, so yeah, I'm just kind of slowly learning about that. I made pasta sauce the other night. What? Really? This is new. The, I don't cook. Like I, I'm newly oh. getting into this whole. I'm Italian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so uh, this is an ancestral reclamation. Is to Hell know how yeah. to cook. Yeah. yeah so I'm like so cool. I'm like running around the house screaming, being like, try my pasta sauce to my partner, Kieran. Uh never a dull moment anyway. So I guess those are the identities I, I lead with. It's it's nothing, you know, prolific or anything like that, like some people say on podcasts. <laughs> so. <laughs> this is my yeah, here's my relatives. Here's yeah. here, here so you go. What would you like to share about the circumstances that led you to write love notes to grievers? I, I read it in its maybe second printing or something like that, but uh, maybe a year into pandemic. Um, and it's a, a very heartfelt, very sweet, but also very practical little book, Love Notes to Grievers. So what do you want to share about why you wrote that? Uh, it kind of just happened. Um... I have two Instagram pages, and so one I shared not griefy things. So when I started sharing those type of things, uh, I felt a little shift in the room <laughs> and started feeling a bit, oh, this may be not the place for this. Um, uh, as a death-phobic culture and grief-illiterate culture, I was like, oh, this isn't landing for everybody, which is fair enough. So I was like, I'm going to make a different page to like put all my griefy stuff. And if people want to follow it, then they can. So that it started off as that. And I just, I really felt I needed to make sense of the grief I was going through. So that is why Love Notes to Grievers became a book because I was writing, basically I was writing to myself that like, what is going on here? you know, why are people reacting to my grief this way? Things like that. So um, the way, the reason I started writing about grief is um, in uh, 2018 in December, my friend took her life. Um, so I haven't talked about this. This is the first time I've talked about it. So it's much easier to to write. I'm also going to own that crying in public is not for me, <laughs> but I'm doing it anyways. You're doing it scared. Thanks, Angela. I appreciate it. And just take your time. Yeah. So uh, getting a tech mes test text message from your friend's mom that that happened <laughs> was a shock to my system. Um, and um, yeah, shortly after I went to the funeral and my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. 
wow, this all happened in just like a period of weeks yeah. or something. Yeah. Like, no, oh, a day. <laughs> day. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. So I went home for my friend's funeral and uh, the day after I went home to just spend a little bit of time because I flew home to Ontario. I live on the West Coast for people that don't know. Um, so I uh, was traveling home to uh, be with my family uh, just because I was there. So why not go hang out with your parents? <laughs> and so um, I, my dad had a CAT scan. He wasn't feeling well. So I had my mom asked me to take him to his CAT scan that day. They knew that I was very griefy and, you know, it was a big ask, but they were just like, I think my family knew something was wrong. And so I took my dad to his, his CAT scan and I just knew something was very wrong. I could just tell when I jumped in bed with him, when I got into the house and was like, Ooh, Oh, this is going to be, I could just feel this is going to be a long road. Um, so yeah, that day my dad got called in, like we did some errands with my uh, my cousin who's disabled and took him home and then we got the call that um, my doctor or our doctor wanted to see my dad and my mom. So I could not bear to deal with that. My capacity was already the size of a peanut. <laughs> so um, I uh, went to my friend's house and had a meltdown. And then, so it kind of just went from there. So my dad in four months, uh, died. Uh, so yeah, so I ended up, I was fly. I was supposed to fly home and then I never went home. I was there caring for my father for the four months that he was sick, um, alongside my mom and at home. Um, yeah. So, um, Shortly after he died, I flew home, and um, that's when the grief really hit me. It was just like, oh, I have to go back to work. Like, there's just no space for grief in this culture, and I really was feeling into that, and um, uh, I didn't even get to catch up on my friend, like, dying. <laughs> so, like, there was just a, a, a consecutive and cumulative grief building, Um so I went back to work shortly after, and I just really struggled in freeze response. Um, mm. What did that look like? Um, I We coined this couch that I'm sitting on currently as Couch Island, which I do speak about in, my, in the expanded version of my book, Love Notes to Grievers. Um, couch Island was like my safe place, and, you know, I was still very much me, still cracking jokes about that I might be having a heart attack. Um, I went, I literally, like, grief makes you feel like you might be dying. <laughs> so I went for, like, a few ECGs because I was uh, pretty low in weight at the time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just... I had so much to say. Like, I just, as a person who's neurodivergent and just feels a lot of different angles of our culture and was just like, oh gosh, this is, this, I need to write about this. I can't not write about this. It was just, it was a reflex basically. So that's how that came to be. I was, I, I lost my friend and then I lost my dad and, um, and then my grandma died. <laughs> like I laugh now. I'm not laughing. 
I'm just laughing at the ridiculousness of what life can throw us sometimes. But in 2020, actually, let's back up. So the day my dad died, my grandma had a heart attack. Oh, my gosh. So uh, my dad died around one o'clock on a Friday. And so if you can imagine that heaviness of that grief the day. Um, and then my mom and I, my brother had left and had to go talk to the kids and stuff and um, uh, be with his wife. And so it was my mom and I in the house. My dad died in our home, our family home that I grew up in. And um, so we were pretty toast by that point. And yeah. it's like 10 o'clock at night, we get a phone call. And it's just like, my mom is like, oh, gosh. So then I I hear Is my it mom. Her mom or your dad's mom? Her, my my mom's mom. It's your mom's. Mom. Yeah, God. my poor mother. Um, wow. Yeah, the Morrises need a minute. Yeah, they need a minute, and <laughs> I was like on a cocktail of like melatonin and probably a gravel. I don't even know. Just trying to like deal with my life. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so then we had to rush to the hospital that evening and spent the whole night in the emergency room. I didn't know if my grandma was going to die. Um, mm-hmm. And then so I'm like driving, like kind of you know, on melatonin being like, oh. <laughs> like making jokes. Cause I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, are we going to have to have two funerals at once? And I was like, two for one. And like, oh. you know, <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe the black humor comes right. Through. I had to. Yeah. I I couldn't. Yeah. I mean, the, my dad just died. I was like in this heavy space, but I was like the ridiculousness of life just had me saying things mm-hmm. like that. So my mom, mm-hmm. bless her heart, was just like laughing along and just being like, "Yeah, this is ridiculous." So, uh, yeah, all of that was fairly traumatic. Um, my grandma did survive, so we spent the week in the hospital uh, tending to her while we were planning my dad's funeral. <laughs> so, wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So I think just all of that and not being able to articulate it to friends, um, I kind of lost it a little bit in the sense of like the energy that I was bringing. It was like, I'm going to need you to adult now. Like that was my energy. (laughs) Like (laughs) I I didn't have a lot of patience for a lot of things. And like, I do write about that in the book, a little bit of like my unhinged moments of the early grief of just like too much. This is too much. I need everyone to uh, handle their own shit right now. Handle your shit. Yeah, for sure. Handle your shit. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's a long about way of saying um, this book was a, a love note to others in early grief being like, holy shit, you can't prepare for something like this. And I just really wanted to be there for myself because I just, I had support. My partner was extremely supportive, but there was a lot of friends um an expectation that that when someone dies that they will rise to the occasion <laughs> i guess you could right. say um and and, and it didn't happen and i had a lot to learn about mm-hmm. myself right you no know? before we go further into that cuz i want to ask you about that i'm 
I'm curious about your sense of humor. Like, is that something you get from your dad? Or, and also, like, what was your dad like? What was your relationship with your dad like? Like, was this a clean pain of like, I loved him, he loved me, it was very clear? Or is it, was it complicated? Um, yeah, I think that a human is complicated. So, yeah, it's going to be complicated. I mean, if you want to go the the route where we idolize the dead people in our lives, go for it. That's not me. Um, but yeah, what was the first question? Go. Oh, the the first part is like about your humor. Do you get that from humor, your dad? Sorry. Yes, I do. My dad's fam side of the family is known for being jokesters. I never met my dad's dad. I'm really disappointed because I think I am a lot like him because um, I'm very much like my father. Um, shout out for the undiagnosed ADHD men out there. Um, figured that one out after he died. But anyway, bless his heart. Um, yeah, the very funny family. Um, my dad actually uh, lost his father early and his brother and his mother and then his his sister um, all by the time he was 50. Yeah. My dad had immense grief, um, that was probably went a little bit not processed. <laughs> right. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. but, uh, my dad's sense of humor, I, it just, it comes out in funny ways. Like my dad used to love to dress up in like really goofy things, um, really short shorts and like, cut off rubber boots that he like designed himself <laughs> um and he called them like we were from this small town called Corbeil and he was like look I created the Corbeil ducky and it was like do you know duckies like those yeah, rubber I love yeah. okay yeah, <laughs> so he created his own um nice yeah so I have so many fond memories of his sense of humor and um him and I were so much alike that we did have, I had a lot of wounds because of my dad and it doesn't change the grief. It just humanizes my dad, if anything. Mm -hmm. like, um, so it was compli complicated in the sense of like, yeah, I didn't have a perfect childhood and mm -hmm. uh, now he's not here anymore to watch this part of me unfold. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I always mm -hmm. hoped that I would have a ton of money and be able to show my dad, look how successful mm -hmm. I am or something like that and take him on a trip, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I never got mm -hmm. to do those things. So there's definitely some, what might have been, mm -hmm. uh, but I was extremely mm -hmm. close with my father and like every night, it, like in his hospital bed, we would snuggle. Mm -hmm. um, I would put on his lip gloss and, <laughs> um, you know, tend to him and, and, like big ways and that was healing for both of us um mm. <sighs> mm -hmm. yeah my my dad um was a phenomenal human and uh, i don't think everybody gets what i got they sure don't. Yeah. Especially in, really beautiful. in his death, a lot of healing happened for us. Um, watching a, your own father cry. 
after being, you know, pretending to be so strong for so long was beautiful. Mm. Watching a bunch of burly hunters and men come around his hospital bed and weep. (laughs) I'm so glad you had that. There's nothing more beautiful than watching men like that cry (laughs) like I took pure joy (laughs) in watching (laughs) like and that's the kind of person my father was he knew grief he knew he was dying um and to watch him go through his stages in such a beautiful way to the point where he's yelling fuck in the, the living room to taking to the indigenous culture, which shocked the hell out of me. My brother's wife's indigenous and um, her dad would come over and share, you know, like what happens to your body when you leave the earth. Like my dad was so cute. He would um, like, I would sit there with him and he was like, okay, Ange, did you get the part about the three day journey? And he he was like, are you taking notes? Because he was, he had like a medicine pouch and he really took to, like, he understood that culture more than he understood other, like nothing else worked for him. He wasn't religious, but this, this really stuck with him and he cried openly he shared the stories from his childhood I had never heard before. Um, yeah, so I i mean, was my childhood perfect? Hell no. Was he amazing? Yes. And was his death beautiful? Oh, my God. Yes. So mm. everything around my dad's death was horribly painful and beautiful. <laughs> mm, that um, sounds so poignant. Yeah. yeah. So poignant, really beautiful and painful mixed together. Yeah, yeah. So, and all throughout all of this, I've maintained that Morris sense of humor. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He lives on. (laughs) He does Mm -hmm. live on for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thanks for everyone for uh, like bearing with me because, yeah, the tears, it's hard to share these kind of stories. It's easier to write them. It's yeah, to write yeah, them. I can you imagine. can edit yourself. You can, you can, you know, weep on your own. <laughs> yeah, so. but it. I really do appreciate you sharing, and like, I am so moved. You know, even just hearing your experience of a, a nuanced relationship with your dad, but that had a beautiful death, is very relieving. inspiring for me I know I'm never gonna get something like that so I'm so touched and moved and happy that you had it thank you and I really appreciate you dosing the field and giving it to the world (laughs) this sometimes happens and we can all benefit from that like yeah it's a very healing thing to hear and also I feel closer like oh it's really nice to know what makes you funny Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah so You also, so you were talking about friendships that maybe didn't, you know, you expected people to rise to the occasion and it didn't really go that way. And um, 
on your Instagram page as well, you also write about adult friendship breakups. And this isn't something we talk a lot about in society. And I have read the books, you know, I've read Big Friendship, I've, you know, um, but I went through a major friend breakup this year. And it seemed like when I was divulging that very um, painful and embarrassing and like, just like regret soaked situation to others, every single person was like, oh yeah, I had a huge breakup with my best friend five years ago or something like that. Like I was like, wait, what? Everybody that I share this with has had a major um, dissolution of a close friendship. And it seems like there's a lot more shame wrapped up in having a friendship, let's say fail, you know, like, or a friendship break up than say a romantic relationship. Like we don't kind of go like, oh, that person must be, I don't know. We expect there to be romantic breakups, but there's a lot more shame, it seems, around the friendship stuff. So I'm I'm very curious what your thoughts might be on that and what your experience with adult friendship breakups has been. Yeah, this topic is important to me for so many reasons. (laughs) Friendship is so important to me, and I find myself at 38 looking around and being a bit, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but um, saddened, um, confused, and hopeful (laughs) um, (laughs) that we can actually have these conversations openly. And I guess where I've been with this is that we weight romantic relationships as more important because of, I think, capacity. We don't live in a society that says, you know, go to therapy with your friend. Like, you only have space for the person that you live with. (laughs) I just disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think, I think that we have an, an ideal that relationships and friendships should be fun and easy. And when they aren't, then they're wrong. And that's not true. Um, It almost breeds superficiality and it breaks my heart because people lose friendships with people that they actually truly love and it just got a little too hard for them and or wounds are butting up against other other like your wounds or or um, that capitalism like in my case it's like yeah that capitalism and heteronormative like it the intensity of needing to survive in a world that doesn't have intact village or trying to keep friendships alive across the internet or that kind of stuff. It's just like, we end up not actually having very many options (laughs) to be like, let me prioritize these other humans who are not householders with me. Cause it's just like, because the world is exhausting. Yeah. And that's, and that's a, the thing is, the antidote is the opposite of what some of these people are pushing away. Mm-hmm. And that that breaks my heart all over again. And it happened to me. I can speak on it personally. Um, 
uh, one of my best friends about a year into my grief stopped talking to me, um, ghosted or ghosted. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I guess, I guess we use ghosted as a few different ways, but just, we had a bit of a conflict and it just, she shut down and just stopped speaking to me. Mm. I tried a few different ways as I was grieving, like I was pretty bitter about that part, but uh, <laughs> this person was extremely important to me. I loved her so much and um, I really put myself out there. I always do try to own things um, and she never wrote back and it, it, that broke me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had already been in, I had already lost a few fresh friendships at that point, but this one was really important to me um she had been there like at the funeral she was kind of like the the tissue holder for me um someone I trusted and someone that I felt I could be my messy self with and so when that person stopped talking to me I felt I was doing grief wrong that I was broken (laughs) it was awful Mm. Um, which probably sent me down like a whole other grief path because Mm -hmm. Um, here I am trying to catch my breath after two deaths and then uh, in that time like and then my grandma died like in April of that year 2020 Um, and yeah that was a a, she stopped speaking to me probably around March around my death death date Um, and you know people have every right not to want to be your friend it's doesn't make it easy and I like to have conversations, hard ones. I like I I I live in the ideal of owning things and and you know what happened here. Um, and you just don't get that a lot of the time with with that kind of again that it's just too much work for people. They don't have the capacity. They've got kids. Mm-hmm. They've got a partner. Mm-hmm. And I think. I thought about this a little bit the other day and it was like, how do we expect people to do this with their friends if they can't even do it with their partner? Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people and their families, um, Mm -hmm. I'm the opposite. I'm like, we should be practicing with our friends so we can be with our families. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. They should be the people that we can trust, our chosen Mm -hmm. people, so that we can be messy together. and yeah, that broke my heart. I still miss her terribly. I, I'm missing a lot of milestones in her life right now. Mm. Has it changed yeah. your other friendships or how you look at friendship? As you know, it, it it's notoriously much harder to make friends as an older person than a kid, right? So has it changed your approach to friendship? Um, I think I'm a little bit more cautious. <laughs> with where I put my energy, I guess you could say. I still, the the really cool thing about my friendships is that I have friends from like grade one still. Wow. Um, we're not everyday kind of friends, but I do have friends from who knew me as that little neurodivergent 
girl <laughs> fun and quirky and funky and like cool dress and crimped hair and like <laughs> I'm still friends with those girls and mm-hmm. um not super close everyday friends but I hang on to that <laughs> that makes mm-hmm. me remember the essence of friendship and um so moving forward these days um I really just pay attention to the signs of it being reciprocal and uh, that there is some skills and competency with the willing to show up if things get weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't like it as much as anyone else, but um, if the love's there, then the awkward conversation isn't mm-hmm. so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really look for people that are take personal responsibility. It's really hard to have friends who can't own their shit. Mm. How do you, how do you have a hard conversation if you're Mm -hmm. having to deal with like that level of woundedness? Like Mm -hmm. it's not easy. Um, So yeah, these days. And it still may not work out. Yeah. And it, and knowing (laughs) that, like, just like Mm -hmm. the relationship I have with my partner may not mm. work out. These friendships mm-hmm. may not work out. I think I was living in a bit of a best friends forever, um, mm-hmm. idyllic world of, you know, cause I mm-hmm. did actually have that as a kid. I had a best friend I, who I played basketball for four hours with and we'd, you know, I had a best friend in grades uh, six to 12 who we dress up and make our own outfits and we Mm. looked identical and had the same name I did actually have those things so Mm. as I aged I I was like where is that I still want Mm. that I I still want I still want a bestie and so now that I don't have a bestie Mm -hmm. um it's opened up my eyes and my empathy for those that don't had never had Mm. it and yeah, I'm like, wow, I never had that. This is like a good patterning that I'm doing right now. Like, <laughs> oh, like, because, you know, I, the feedback I had received in my friendship breakup was essentially, obviously, it's like really the result of like millions of interactions, but like for me anyway, it was. But, um, but if I were to distill it, it would be that the quality of my presence wasn't serving the relationship and um, had lots of (laughs) joint therapy, supervision, discussion, had lots of skills, lots of education and training, had difficult conversations, but ultimately there's, there is a, an indescribable grief to just like, we're incompatible in this fundamental way where your need and my capacity or my desire, like I don't, I've never had that kind of friendship. I I don't want that intensity or, you know, it's like we have a fundamental incompatibility and that is in such conflict with the love and respect that I have that it's just like inconceivable. Like it's like how I never would have predicted that that would happen. And so the grief of it is like this thick, dense, amorphous thing that's always there and no one else can see. So like months later, friends are like, how are you doing with that? And I'm like, oh my God, I think about it so much. It's not even worth talking about. 
And like yeah. my friends are like, I think that means it's worth talking about. I think but it's it like, is. No, yeah. this is like an unresolvable grief. I bring it to therapy. I talk to friends. I do all that stuff. But I'm kind of moving into the place where I'm like, and now this is my friend, blob of friendship grief. Yeah. <laughs> I just like carry around. It's like, you know. Yeah. You described that perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a heartbreak. Like carrying it around. It's mm-hmm. a heart. It doesn't. I will forever. I miss, I'm missing her child grow up. Mm -hmm. I won't, that's grief. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna, Mm -hmm. that's not gonna change for me till I die. That's how much I love this person. That's, that's Mm -hmm. beautiful. It's painful, Mm -hmm. but it's beautiful. I love her that it's so painful for me that I'm going to carry this till I die. Like lucky her, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Well, and like all of us walking around with our little invisible blob of grief friendship companions like I just this is the thing that's also sad to me is like I don't know like you know I I, I'm telling people and they're like oh yeah that happened to me and I'm like wait what like it's just it's almost like when you I don't know whatever age you are when you discover that like so many people you know have been assaulted (laughs) like what the fuck or like you know like you discover uh, how many men are are living with threats of violence constantly and so this is why they're patriarchal jerks or whatever you know like it's just like or they're shut down emotionally you're just like this makes sense you hit an age yeah suddenly you make it makes sense and it feels like the taboo around it is just makes everything just even worse you know yeah so I'm glad you're talking about it I'm glad you asked me that. And I'm, I hope that we can continue this conversation actually, because yeah. it's really important to me. Um, yeah. Cause it's totally. like you said, it's, it's, everyone has a story of, of a big uh, heartbreak like that and what to do with ourselves because it's, it's kind of one of those griefs that people expect you to get over and mm-hmm. that's just not going to happen for me. And I think for you, like the feedback that you received is a common one mm-hmm. and yeah. because it's really scary to let people fully in, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to meet the needs of our friends because we have shit going on in our lives. Um, sometimes they're unconscious sometimes we don't even realize that they're there something shifted Mm -hmm. in someone's life like grief Mm -hmm. and now you don't feel on the same level as them Mm -hmm. I don't expect people to get grief that's not what I'm ever asking of my friendships I'm just asking to know me and for Mm -hmm. me to know them like that's where I want to relate I don't I don't need to have the same story as you I don't Mm -hmm. I don't need anything like that I just I want to know you and I'm Mm -hmm. having a hard time knowing you in this capacity because Mm. there is a roadblock here right and Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. it's interesting what you're saying about like something has shifted and now we're not on the same level and how do we that's it's like (laughs) trying to trying to stay attuned and in touch with what's changed, especially if you don't necessarily know what's changed, but you can just feel it yeah. in the friendship. Something has changed. I, I, I can't relate in the same way that yeah. we did before. It's like, that is a, that's like pretty skillful and we're so unprepared as a society and it affects everything. Like it, 
it kind of made me reevaluate. It made me reevaluate for sure relationships. Like, oh, yeah. what am, what the fuck am I doing? Like, is the quality of my presence okay with my kid? Is it okay yeah. with my other friends? Is it okay with my partner? Is it okay with my, yeah. you know, it's definitely not okay with my family members. That's not my <laughs> secret. But, um, you know, like, it, it and my work, you know, like, okay, well, my clients, my students, like, it, I'm curious for you, what has changed for you from like before bereavement and loss and after, and particularly with your creative process? Cause it seems like, like, I don't know what you were writing about or what you were doing before the grief, but it's like, oh, out of the grief has come this creative process. But we often think of grief as being an impediment to creativity. So how is your process or your, your way of being um, around your self-expression changed from before bereavement and trauma and loss and after? I think for me, um, I actually broke open, I guess. I know that's like cliche, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> it did. It broke me open. It broke me down because there was a few things that really, really hurt. Um, hurt me and the way I thought maybe people would act differently towards me in death or that I was dealing with the death of a loved one. And that's just not the case. And that's not true. And I'm glad that I know that now Mm. Um, about people and what that means for them and their death journey. (laughs) I Mm. I worry for Mm -hmm. them, but um, I also, I just, I am living my life differently in a, in the most, authentic way to date and that Mm. I I'm now working as a massage therapist on my own I quit the clinic I was at Uh, there was some weird dynamics there and I was just like oh like this you know it's just no more you know and I'm I'm just (laughs) really minding my business these days I don't have a lot of need to control things anymore because we can't control anything look what just happened to me yeah and I'm still here and I'm still hilarious and I'm still you know I'm just (laughs) I'm so full of life because I let myself Mm -hmm. grieve properly and Mm by but what I mean by that is I let myself be fucking sad Mm -hmm. over and over and I let myself my partner see me in it and him not even flinch. And so mm. I lived the ideal grief because I wouldn't allow others to take me out of it. Mm. I mean, sometimes mm. I would go down that path of feeling judged and things like that. And I was like, no, mm. I believe I, I'm doing this in my way. And it was scary. And sometimes my body terrified me with the migraines and body pain that I was dealing with. It was terrifying as I obviously had some trauma to, to contend with, but like, I look at trees differently these days. I'm like, holy shit, look at that tree. You know, like I was never like that before. Like I'm making pasta sauce from scratch. What the fuck? Like not look my, at you. look at me. Like I, I just, I'm here for it. And I'm just like, I, on a podcast, I fucking hate talking. <laughs> like, I'm, sorry, now I'm swearing. I'm really getting into this, obviously. No, but, this is good. Um, yeah. I'm just, 
I love it. I, I, death has made me love life Mm. and and all of it. It's just like the messiness and like the horribleness. And it's just like, I have people like Carmen. I have people (laughs) like my partner, like, what did I do? Right. Like, Mm -hmm. so, you know, like what a beautiful prayer. Right. I do. Right. What did I do? What did I do right here? And I know because I, I stayed with it. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that for you. Here you are on a podcast and you're like talking and you're crying in public. You said it wasn't for you. You're doing it scared. What What is the scariest part of the creative process for you as, as a writer? Oh God, where do I start? Um, I want to take it back to my childhood for super mm-hmm. fun times. Um, <laughs> I was a little girl who knew how to hide that there was something maybe wrong with her. Like I I say that with a lot of love. Um, I would hide in the bathroom so I wouldn't have to read out loud in high school and in grade like seven, eight. I, that was me. That was, I was, I was constantly anxious having to do certain things. I'd do it anyways, but, um, I never told anyone. My mom had no clue that I was struggling with certain things until I get some grades back. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I cut myself off. I limited myself because of who I was. I was different than my friends. I was, uh, a person that knew I couldn't go to university because I wasn't, I felt not smart enough. So I went to massage school and I killed it. But anyway, um, so I've done a lot of things in my life, scared and, de- and, and afraid to look stupid because I don't know everything, but I do it anyways. And I learn as I go and I make a fool of myself, literally, like, <laughs> Like, do you want to talk about the cult of online social justice right now? I could, mm. I could write you a dissertation on what not to do, you know, like, <laughs> right. because I learn as I go and I make a fool of myself because I'm willing to put myself out there and it's horrible sometimes. Mm. And all I want to do is hide under my bed. Why do you think it's worthwhile doing if, if you're like, it's horrible? What what is it that you care about that you're reaching towards when you're doing it scared anyway? I can't help myself. <laughs> I I actually can't help myself because I don't know what it's like to not explore and unlearn and to share what you're going through because any single any time I have done that, say if it was like when I was abused by a man or this grief or owning something like, uh, you know, ADHD, every single time I get a private message from someone saying, thank you. That's why I do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd rather just live my life, like, give me all the money and like, off I go. And like, let's, <laughs> you know, go grow some pumpkins like Carmen. And <laughs> yeah. right. But I, again, it's just that, it's that little piece of purpose for me is like, if I mm-hmm. can make someone feel like they're not alone, even mm-hmm. if they are alone in their life. Mm-hmm. But my writing or my presence can be a comfort 
which is why I'm a massage therapist, which is why I let people just speak freely to me mm. is because I can't help myself because I, I just, I can't not do that for other people. It's just who mm. I am. And I think I get that from my, my dad as well. He always was secretly doing things for other people, like taking someone that, you know, was an alcoholic to their appointments because they lost their license, helping mm -hmm. the underdog, helping the person that everyone's thrown away. Mm -hmm. um, and I really mm -hmm. am grateful for his teachings in that regard, like where it's just like, show up in any capacity that you have the skills for, even if you're mm -hmm. not perfect in it. And so. Mm -hmm. How are you showing up these days to your grief? And the in the last question on the podcast is always like, how are you managing your grief and rage? But I, <laughs> I like the way you just put it there. Uh, let's bring in how are you, how are you showing up to your rage as well? It's interesting because I raged out from the time that the pandemic hit for like a good year and a bit. I do things that I, I did things that I regret now thinking that I was helping and I'm kind of embarrassed about now because I had no <laughs> way of like bottling it or containing it. Um, and I have to live with that. And so now the way I deal with rage, I go for like rant walks, I call them. <laughs> Where if what I does that like? Oh, ask my partner. He's like, oh boy, <laughs> it's going to be a biggie tonight, you know? And it's, that helps me. It help, like I talk to my friend who lives here. Um, I, I let it out, you know? Like mm -hmm. it's, I watch what I consume now. I'm not, mm -hmm. you know. I can rage for a world that feels unjust, but also not light myself on fire. And that's what I was doing <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and dysregulating myself uh, and then acting out from that place. And it's just not who I want to be. And, mm. um, but we can own those parts of our rage and use them for good use, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and my way is to help people understand their grief and to like be with their grief because I think that's a big part of why if we see like the rage that people are feeling is because they haven't had their grief needs met. They're furious. Mm. Mm. Um, so to me, that's my way of handling that piece of a culture that is raging towards grief <laughs> you know like I'm just like it's all yeah. grief you know what I mean like you see some someone just totally having a moment it's just like that's that looks like grief to me um, <laughs> yeah mm, well thanks for grieving and raging in public thank, and then thank you admitting like oh I have remorse around that oh um, so awkward. yeah thanks for having this conversation and for sharing us uh, sharing with us everything you've been through it's so like tremendous acute immense um 
And so you, but you just seem like a little person. I am a little person. So it's like, how did you carry all of it? So it's, it's really incredible. You're an incredible human. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Carmen. I really appreciate all of that you are and that you had me on this podcast. Finally, I did it. You did it. You did it. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. (laughs) She did it. Oh my gosh, and we're all so much the better for it. What a soothing voice of calm in the face of the chaos of emotions that can come with grief and loss and estrangement and upheaval. I especially appreciate Angela using the term furious and the phrase raging towards grief. Um, That really landed for me. And if you are also a late-diagnosed neurodivergent adult, I'm sure that Angela's humor and demeanor will be very much appreciated by you. You can follow her on Instagram in two different places, and I'll link to them in the show notes at numinouspodcast.com. And remember, the expanded version of Love Notes to Grievers is coming out spring 2023. Can't wait to have her back then. Thank you so much for listening today. My listener shout out today is to the folks listening in the United Arab Emirates. The only person, obviously I don't expect that I know everybody listening to this show, but when I suddenly see 100 downloads from UAE, the only person I I can think of, like who who that could be is like potentially my brother. Because how else would you find, anyway... That's just too many downloads for one person, I think. Um, but like, why are there suddenly 100 downloads from UAE in the past couple of weeks? Anyway, someone is like really crushing their last week of summer vacation mode and like binging on this podcast, which is awesome. But if it is my brother, um, I send you gentle love and blessings to you and your little fam from across the airwaves and across the years. The last piece of business here is that the Spirited Kitchen is available for pre-order, and I highly recommend that you purchase it now. You can buy it online or from your local independent bookseller. Just ask them to bring it in for you, and a bunch of them will. And um, a lot of them, uh, even in my own hometown, if if you want to order in Canada, you can order from Monroe's Books and just go on their business website, and they will ship it to you. So, yeah, you just go anywhere and buy it and then bring your receipt back to my website to receive your instant bonus downloads just go to the cookbook tab at carmenspaniola.com c-a-r-m-e-n-s-p-a-g-n-o-l-a until next time take care